Welcome, change agents. I'm so glad you're here. This is Cheryl Klein, and you're listening to the Limitless Leader Podcast. Hey there. It is a extremely special day. I'm really excited to be here with Mary Dale, who is the Chief Human Resource Officer at Convivial Brands. Thank you so much, Mary, for being here. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Now, before we jump into, you know, the, the, the amazing conference that you were just at where you were a panelist and all the incredible things that you're doing in your role, I thought I'd start off by, you know, asking you, how did you get into the line of work that you're in? I mean, you weren't born into this world as a chief human resource officer. So how did this all start? And also, were there any speed bumps along the way? Yeah, so I actually didn't go to school for human resources. I wanted to be an industrial organizational psychologist and um, worked really hard to get, you know, a scholarship going to get my master's for that and uh, decided I was going to get married and move to West Michigan and found myself in a management training role um, and worked my way into human resources and during that time was recruited um, to be a recruiter at K-Force Professional Staffing. And that's where I really got started in the human resources sector, doing search recruiting for accounting and finance and um, several other high-level professional positions. And um, it was at that time that I had one of my clients reach out to me and they were looking for an HR director that they needed help finding somebody confidentially. Um, they were a multi-specialty physician's practice that were four of the different organizations were merging together as one. And I had kept presenting different candidates who are highly qualified from the healthcare world, uh, VPs of HR with their master's degrees. And this went on for a good nine months. I went from not being pregnant to getting ready to have a baby um, nine months later. And I remember the CFO saying to me, hey, Mary, I have this job opportunity. Um, and I think we all think that you'd be a great fit for it. And I remember at the time thinking, you must be crazy. Um, I Yes, I've been a successful recruiter. I won a you know, trip to Monte Carlo as one of the top recruiters nationwide. But I don't know anything about being a human resources director, let alone benefits and employee engagement and compensation. I didn't go to school for this. And so I remember going in nine months pregnant at 4.30 in the morning, um, and thinking, oh my gosh, there's a room of, you know, 47 men that are physician owners. It's an, I'm huge and pregnant and they're going to ask me all these questions. And I remember walking away thinking, okay, I don't even know why I showed up. Um, and a few days later, I received an offer to be their next HR director. And uh, it was one of those pivotal moments in my life that I remember thinking, like, what am I doing, Mary? You're not qualified for this. Um, and all my brothers and my dads growing up, you know, always told me that you could be anything that you set your mind to and work hard for and be willing to learn and grow in that. And so I was up for the challenge and I remember walking in and they said, here's your keys and here's your office. And there was nobody there to mentor me, to show me. And I remember they're like, and we have a new hire coming in in three days. And I'm like, I've never worked in healthcare. I don't know how this works. And so I remember calling uh, a bunch of people in the healthcare sector that I had looked up to leaders and asking lots of questions, doing lots of research. And six months later, I ended up 
um, not only being the human resources director, but overseeing all of HIP, HIP and, and OSHA compliance um, and started uh, moving into also a clinical director role and overseeing all of our clinical um, operations for the different pads, the seven specialties that we had. Um, and over the years, it transformed into moving into a COO role. So um, my journey to HR was not something I was looking for or that I expected. Um, but one of the things that oftentimes I hear females tell me, it's like, well, I'm not qualified or I can't do this. Um, there's so many studies that say women have to be 90 to 95% qualified to go for a job where a male will go for a job that's, you know, that they're 10 or 15% qualified for. And I really think having brothers and a dad who really pushed me when I was younger um, and had me working in different settings that I had the confidence um, and belief that I could do it if I set my mind to it and if I worked hard and did, you know, educated and was a quick study. Um, and so I didn't take the natural path that most people did. Um, but had I not take, taken that leap of faith um, and believed in myself when I could have walked away from it and said, you can't do this, I don't think I would be um, in a C-suite position today, or even the leader I am today, um, because that position really set me up for success because I had to learn everything about HR in every facet of HR. Um, and I was the only female uh, in a high level leadership role with that company. All the physicians were males too. So I was a young female navigating the world of, of being around a, a table and having a seat there with all men. And so um my journey to HR was not traditional, but it was it's it's one of the funny uh, stories I like to tell because most people are like, did you get your master's? Did you do this? And I'm like, nope, my degree is in communication and psychology. Um, but I later went back and got my PHR, got my SHRM certification, got my diversity inclusion certification, took several master's level courses. Um, and so um, I've, I've been a lifelong learner and I continue to learn in the areas that I may not know. But fortunate for me, every company I've been at, I've had to kind of build their HR department from the ground up or revitalize it. And so it's really given me up. There's not one area of HR that I can say that I'm not really strong in other than payroll, um, which is why I hire really amazing payroll people to work for me and, and let them kind of go after it and, and do what they're great at. Great at. Yeah, so I want to really point out something. You said a lot of amazing things, but you know, when you were nine months pregnant, went into the room with all these men, I want to point out that you were still kind of had some maybe fear or doubt and thinking, well, what what am I doing here? But I wanted to point out that's really part of being resilient, immensely tough, and that that you proceed anyway. In other words, you just kept moving forward. So, you know, for anyone listening, if you are you know, you want something, you know that you want something in your heart and your gut that you really want to go after it, but you're like, I'm not qualified. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, whatever the limitations you have, it's okay, but do what Mary did, feel <laughs> it, peace with it, but just jump in and go for it. So I just wanted to um, point that out because it's really a trait of really, uh, you know, a true leader, which you probably didn't even know at the time. It was just something you learned from your informal training with the men in your family. So that's that's super cool. And now, you know, we talked about before we went alive is that, you know, um, success isn't, you know, a straight shot. You know, it's not like you decide I'm, you know, going to be a C-level 
you know, human resource professional and, you know, get on the rocket ship and off we go. I mean, a lot of times we have setbacks and kind of the, the theme of what we're going to talk about today has to do about vulnerability. So if you don't mind getting a little vulnerable, sure. vulnerable yourself, can you tell us a time when maybe you had a setback or you were thinking maybe I'm not cut out for this or things kind of went sideways a little bit? Yeah. So in my life, I've actually had a lot of um, situations personally that I would say, you know, my husband always says in life, um, situations can make you bitter or they can make you better. They can make you weaker or they can make you stronger. And I've really taken the focal point on everything that happens in life happens for a reason. And believe it or not, my worst moments in life have actually turned into some of um, the greatest, how I could be the greatest blessing to others as a leader. And those moments in my life no longer are things I look at as a negative, but ways it prepared me to help other people. And so I'll give you a few examples. So my husband and I, when we were first, um, he had just graduated from college. We bought our first house. We were super excited. And um, I was still a senior in college. And um, I remember getting a call when we were at my parents' house on Thanksgiving Day that our house was on fire. And I remember rushing back and thinking all of the things, gifts that people got us in preparation for our wedding and everything that we owned was in that house. And um, my dad was born in the 1930s. And so I was the baby of five. And so growing up, my dad always used to tell me that, you know, Mary, we're not going to be able to afford to send you to college. We're not we're not going to have the means. I'm going to be on a fixed income. And so you're going to have to really work hard um, to save money. When all my friends were off on cruises in high school and they were quitting their jobs to buy a purse, I was working three jobs, even though you, you know, with your minor uh, certificate, you're not supposed to work more than 40, but I was applying for four different places so that I could work as many hours as possible to save my money for college. And so in the moment when you have a fire and you're going, I don't, really know who I'm going to turn to, even though my parents are wonderful people and very generous, they're living on this fixed income. But I remember being in a hotel with a family who had also just lost everything and they were in much worse of a situation than we were. And we didn't have toothbrushes. We only had the clothes on our backs. You don't have a pillow. You don't have shampoo. And I remember hearing their story and thinking, you know, this would be a really cool opportunity to create a fire foundation, to help people when firemen get off the truck, that they're able to hand them a pass, like a basket with all the essential needs that they um, like shampoo and toothbrush and what have you, but also a brochure of the places that can help them get back on their feet. And so we did that. Um, but as time went on and I moved into a human resources role and I had employees coming to me, calling me saying, my house just burned down. I knew what that felt like. And I knew what other people went through, especially who had children and, and the devastation. And they tell you, you have to leave your, your personal life at work, but that's not possible. People are human and they're whole people. And so um, I would immediately get all the doctors together and say, I bought pancake mix. I have, you know, um, griddles and I have things that we're going to make pancakes and we're going to raise money and we're going to offer people breakfast and say, you know, for minimum $5 donation, we're doing this for your coworkers. And I remember in a matter of two days being able to show up with $1,700 or $3,000 because we had different tragedies that happen immediately to help the family. And I think in life, you know, when you go through those types of things, you learn 
that there's people who aren't going to have as much resilience. They may not have, they may not be able to see the light at the, at the end of the tunnel. And so when you use those things, whether it's failures, whether it's life experiences that you have no control over, or it's the things that you do that maybe you impacted the way, you know, you, you kind of caused it yourself. The reality is you have two choices. You can make something great out of it. Like, like they say, turn, uh, take lemons and make lemonade, or you can fail forward. And I've really used that as my focal point as a leader is every time something really bad happens, I look, use it as a learning opportunity or something that I can improve somebody else's life because maybe going through that situation was hard on me, but I want to prevent that suffering from other people. And so that's just one experience. Um, I've also had health issues and different things like that. Um, I've had my son almost die. And so we've had some tragedies, but when I look at our employees and the things they go through um, and compare myself as a leader to maybe an hourly employee that doesn't have PTO, I really try to think about the policies that impact them or the things that we do so that I don't, we're not creating suffering as an organization, but supporting them through those life's challenges. Yeah, that is so, so important. And how do you think that as a leader, it helps your people to be vulnerable. And do you think that there's a space for, you know, leaders to, you know, lead with confidence and maybe assertion, but also allowing themselves to be a little bit more vulnerable? Yeah. So personally, I mean, when we talk about, I think the great resignation or the worry of people right now in the world, they're worried about how they're going to fill their gas in their car to even get to work or as food becomes, you know, there's food shortages and having to pay more th for things, how they're going to survive. And so being honest with people about life's experiences and be having that open door and allowing people to really show up and bring their whole self to work. And when I say that there's a lot of companies that have diversity and inclusion policies and they're really sexy words on a website, but when you go into their culture and you actually experience what life is in their organizations, you don't feel that way. Um, mm -hmm. People have to hide who they are or they're sneaking out the back door or you wonder why people, oh, I forgot my lunch, when reality is they may not be able to afford their lunch or they're saving their money to maybe make sure that their children are eating um, and they're not eating themselves. And so I think it's really important for leaders and organizations to think through all those blind spots. A lot of times you see people focusing on diversity and inclusion based on people's ethnicity, which is so critical, but they miss so many other components. You know, there's people with different socioeconomic uh, statuses. And we create policies and procedures as salaried professionals. If we're late to work, we're not getting fired, but we don't think about the person whose car breaks and they don't have the money to afford to pay to get that car fixed or they're waiting for tax season. And so they may be taking the bus and then we ask them to work overtime and the bus doesn't go on Saturday. So they're walking that mile from where the bus does go and stops and we're penalizing them. And we're not thinking through the things that people go through um, to show up and they might've been a great employee for 10 years, but all of a sudden now we're, we have a point system, right? Where we're penalizing them for not being on time. And so as leaders, I think it's really important to have those discussions with people. What is life like, you know, um, are they having those struggles? Let's be honest, because maybe there's a coworker, maybe there's somebody else who could, you know, carpool with that individual. But if you're not creating a space where you, people see you as human, 
and you're in your ivory tower and you're not willing to have those vulnerable conversations about your own life experiences, people aren't willing to share that with you and you don't have those opportunities. And so I try really, really hard to understand people where they're at, um, understand their lives, life experiences. And part of the way I do that is getting involved outside of my business and the community and interacting with people of different abilities. So with disabilities, with um, from different cultures that I may not understand what it's like to go to a restaurant and not be served or to be asked to pay for something because of the color of my skin. I've witnessed it so many times now that I've been around people of different backgrounds, my own family. I have people from different cultures. We all married, believe it or not, all five of us have people that we married that were born in another country. Um, And so we see it every day. And when you can walk a mile in someone's shoes and see things from their frame of reference, as a leader, it really helps you mold and shape how you support your employees through policy, but also through engagement activities. And I would say at Convivial Brands, we've done a really good job of that, not just in my own role, uh, but in our entire shareholders, our our C-suite. And I think it's why we had 2% turnover last year um, in the midst of when people were talking about 100 and 150% turnover, because we weren't focused on, you know, just cog in a wheel, but really focused on getting deep into people and understanding what it meant, what, what was their purpose? How do we how do we tie them to our core values and our culture and our mission? Um, How do we understand their needs and meet them? And I think as leaders, that's really, as we go through this phase of um, candidate shortages and high turnover and the economy crashing in different areas, really focusing on how to become um, more connected with our people and their emotional uh, side more than ever. Yeah, it seems like one important way to do that is for leaders to be more vulnerable and say that I've had a time in my life when this was a concern. And I just want to interject, too, that sometimes to your point of, you know, getting mad at someone or penalizing someone for being late or being lazy or what have you, you know, one um, way to approach that, especially if it's someone who's a high performer, you know, and all of a sudden they're late, they appear lazy or what have you, is just to say, hey, I'm, I'm used to this level of performance with you. Is there something going on that I should be aware of? And just to your point, showing them you care and giving them a moment to share, especially if it's behavior out of character. Right. And I would say, you know, a lot of there's a lot of shame and stuff and embarrassment. I remember when I had my fire and I had a job, I was embarrassed. I didn't have clothes. There was not a lot locally. I couldn't afford to go drive an hour south. And so I remember my sharing with my boss what I was going through and them giving me a shirt. And then when it came to going to interviews, people coming together and being like, well, you can borrow this. And while it was tough at the time, um, those are people who really helped me get back on my feet. And so when I think about our team members and there's opportunities, I always I, I share with my daughter because I think the next generation um, has a lot to offer. But we were talking the other day and I said, you know, when you're ever in a position to help someone else, always reach back because you never know when you're personally going to be in that position where you need help. And um, success is not a destination. And so 
any one of us who are in a leadership position, tomorrow our companies could close, we could lose our jobs, you know, anything could happen. And I think it's really important um, to be mindful of that and to always be thinking of how you can help somebody else. And as a leader, I, I think being open where people feel comfortable to talk to you about those things are critical. And, and really, if you're not, you're missing. I mean, so many people I talk to, why did you leave your job? Well, because I was going through this after 10 years, you know, my boss didn't care. I was, you know, late a few times and it really was of something simple that if had they listened and had they been more open minded, they could have kept a great employee. And in fact, when you do help employees through those moments, they tend to give back and work so much harder um, and you attract talent because they share their story of how you helped them through a time, their hardest time in life. Yeah. And it, and it seems like um, part of the way of helping employees get over the shame that they might feel about not having the clothes, like you didn't have the clothes to wear or not being able to fix the car or whatever is going on in their life is to share something that happened right. or you or someone um, that, you know, even if maybe it's a little uncomfortable. Right. Absolutely. I think the other thing too is um, I spend a lot of time writing birthday cards and sending gift packs to people's houses to celebrate um, every single employee's birthday in the company. And I think sometimes people think I'm crazy when I say I literally write a birthday card. And if I find out someone had a major milestone, I'm sending them a card in the mail and a little gift um, to surprise them. Or if they had someone die in their family and they you know, might've told me, oh, my grandpa was a gardener and I'm really having a hard time with this. And he loved his rose garden. When I send that sympathy gift, it's usually a rose bush that they can plant. And I make sure the card has a rose on it. And it's just very personalized. And I think when you pay attention to those details that matter to people, um, that's another key area of how to emotionally connect with people. Um, it's not that you're just going through the motions that you truly care. Um, the other thing I think as leaders is sometimes if you're talking about these, you know, wellness programs, people spend so much money on canned programs. And sometimes it's as simple as, hey, I'm going to put peanut butter and jelly and some yogurts in our uh, staff lounge and in fridge. And we're going to have it there so that if you get busy and you don't have time to go out for lunch, you forget to make your lunch, it's there. And then there's no shame for anybody who's going, well, I didn't have a lunch because they couldn't afford it, right? Um, and, you know, it's there for people who get busy and they're like, I don't have time to run out or I had a meeting added to my schedule. Um, but it's those little things that you can do to, as an employer and as a leader to make life easier. But then nobody stands out. Nobody, you know, is like, well, I'm getting the meal because I can't afford it, or I'm getting this because of X. And then in my last job, we would just tell people to take the stuff home with them at the end of the week. And whoever, whatever leftovers, or if we serve food here at Convivial Brands for lunch, we have containers, we tell people to take it home. But people then don't have to say like, oh, hey, can I take this home for my kids? Everybody's taking it home and it's there for them to enjoy. And so it's creating those situations where people don't feel like the other um, or that they're not part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think as a leader, it's looking for ways that you can take life experiences that have been hard for you and to make it easier for somebody else. Yeah, that's such an important point and something that you were doing that you may or may not have even realized, but, you know, putting on a coaching hat for a second is that one of the 10 human drives that have been proven in science for people to be 
most happy and also to feel most alive is to feel cared for. And so, and you would know better than me, but I would think speaking, you know, um, going back to what you were saying earlier, is it probably one of the biggest reasons why people leave is that they feel insignificant or like no one cares about yeah. them and their well-being. Yeah. And so feeling cared for um, is valuable. Um, and especially as we head into, you know, some uncertainty with an economy and, you know, maintaining talent and this or that, it seems like, and again, you would know better than me because you're the expert, but it seems like it is absolutely just as important as tracking numbers and productivity and things that are that are happening because it really creates a sense of obligation. Mm -hmm. um, people feel cared for, cared for to do their best. Yeah, I would say in, in the culture that I'm in now, we're not focused on the write-ups and you know, all the investigations like I have in the past because maybe caring for people wasn't at the focus and living out our core values and making sure we were hiring and firing to our core values and extending our interview process versus speeding it up to make sure we were hiring people that aligned with our core values. And they're all from different backgrounds, different ages, different abilities, uh, different regions. But I think when we change the focus on the right things, we don't deal with the messes on the back end. Um, and, you know, people would say, oh, well, is it because you're from Grand Rapids? We have employees in 47 states and we sell our products in all 52. So um, it's not a regional thing. I think being a human and feeling connected to your work and feeling valued, that is a human characteristic of us all. Right. And so you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so when you're focused on getting people at that fifth level, right, um, we call it the culture hierarchy of needs. But when you're serving those needs of people, you start to you don't have as many problems and you're not you're not always trying to work on, OK, I got to deal with the 10 percent of people that are a problem. We, we very rarely have that. Um, and so we've been very blessed and fortunate, but I really do think it's because our leadership team, our entire leadership team focuses on our team members and really allows them to bring their whole selves to work. Um, and I, and it's not just something we say, but it's how we live. Yeah. And I think that um, I really appreciate everything that you've been sharing. And I also think that you should definitely take some credit for that 2% of turnover when <laughs> Most other companies, at least in the United States, I've heard it's multiple, multiple times more. So really take a bow. And I'm sure that you also have a ripple down effect of your leadership because a lot of people are watching you, including your kids. And so we'll have some incredible leaders to come that were becoming and following your footsteps. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today, Mary. I look forward to continuing. Excuse me, I look forward to watching your journey and um, it's been a really uh, inspiration with you sharing your knowledge. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow or subscribe to the Limitless Leader podcast with Cheryl Klein on whatever podcast platform you use. We'll let you know every time we release a new episode. And if you really enjoyed what you've heard so far, rate and review us too. That's one of the best ways that you can support us and make sure that this podcast keeps going. 
and also I offer a significant library of free mental toughness and high performance videos, worksheets, tips, and other helpful content on my website at www.cherylkline.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Cheryl Klein, and I look forward to having you back next time. And remember, you're only limited by what you think is possible. Cheering you on always.